Um, this evening, we begin a, a lengthy series. I don't know how long. I really don't. But uh, on evangelism, titled Evangelism Episodes from the Book of Acts. If you'd make your way uh, to the Book of Acts, um, in our year, uh, and I asked myself this question, in our year of being members one of another, that is the body of Christ being a cohesive uh, unit uh, of spiritual intimacy and oneness and, and the like, why should evangelism be our focus on Sunday evenings for these coming weeks? A number of reasons. Let me offer these. One, sharing the gospel with the lost is part and parcel of what it means to follow Christ. It's who we are as far as our practical expression of the gospel in this world individually as well as a corporate church. So it's just who we are. We are salt and light in a decadent, dark world. Amen? So it's a good thing to have this focus. Secondly, I haven't brought much on this subject in far too long. Yes, we have our, our annual missions conference uh, and give a shot on that, uh, but that's typically one message, maybe two on a Sunday, one time a year, and so it's high time that I shared on this in order to gain a balanced diet, and only a balanced diet will produce a healthy body. And we want to have and maintain a healthy body. So we need a balanced diet. And evangelism in the church, that is the church being involved in soul winning and, and witnessing, uh, is part of what generates a healthy body. And thirdly, frankly, we're not particularly effective at this Christian discipline. That is, Redbridge is not. And I, I thought, well, I don't want us to be pistol whipped by me or anyone else. And my guess is, really, most of the American church, Bible-believing American church, is not particularly effective, fruitful, I don't want to say good at, but fruitful at this spiritual discipline. Now, of course, there are individuals who are in, uh, given uh, to evangelism. I'm married to such a person, and others of you are. But by and large, at least there doesn't seem to be a great indication that we as a congregation are particularly effective at evangelism and in the ministry of evangelism. So for those and probably many other reasons, we launch into this subject of evangelism episodes from the book of Acts. If you would look at the book of Acts, chapter 1. This evening, uh, we see the first century believers at the starting line, like a sprinter who's going to run a 100-meter dash, who places his or her feet in the starting blocks and waiting for the gun to sound to begin. It's a good idea uh, for us to also begin at the beginning, start from the very get-go. I mean, I mean, after all, Julie Andrews in, exhorted all of us I'm going to start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. <laughs> and so too is evangelism so that we can get the, the background on what happens in the book of Acts because evangelism comes alive in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, if you would, beginning in verse 12 through verse 26. Jesus had just ascended and the angels who were there said, now, get back and stop gazing up into heaven. Get ready 
because the power is coming. Verse 12, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come, uh, when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James, making sure which Judas was being referenced. Of course, the spirit of God wanted us to make sure who that was. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together was about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit by the mouth of David spoke before concerning Judas, who was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue Akeldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, that is his overseership, let another take. Wherefore of these men who have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until that same day that he was taken up from us, in other words, just a few days ago, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbath, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, uh, thou Lord, who knowest the hearts of all men, Show which of these two thou hast chosen, that he may have part in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Ready, set, go. And the go will begin in chapter 2 with The Spirit of God baptizing the believers into the body of Christ and the church launching. But before that, we see chapter 1. Three points if you're taking notes. Um, If we are going to be a church who have episodes of evangelism, that is seeing people saved. Kathy and I were just blessed with Scott and Oksana um, just a little over a month ago to all four of us be there when uh, uh, two souls were uh, born into the family of God, when two sinners had become saints and were forgiven, namely Oksana's parents. And what a thrill it was. I tell you, Lord, turn on that spigot and don't turn it off. And let all of God's people here experience that very same anointing and blessing But before that's going to happen, and it's not going to happen by accident, I have to, by faith, say, yes, Lord, this is your plan. This is who I'm going to be. You know, Luke, the doctor, gives much detail as a physician would. And through the Spirit, Luke said that Jesus is going to return to Mount Olivet one day. This same Jesus who was taken up from you is going to return. And Mount Olivet is not an impressive 
mountain in and of itself. Jerusalem stands about 200 feet above the valley around it and then Mount Olivet just another couple of hundred feet. Not a particularly, I mean you wouldn't even really call it a mountain, you would call it a hill. And it was a ways, a little ways from Jerusalem. Well how far? Scripture gives us the detail that it was a Sabbath day's journey. And at first glance, when the first time I ever heard of a Sabbath day's journey, I thought, does that mean uh, the distance is walking from one Sabbath to the next? That is, does it take a week to walk that distance? And in fact, that is not the case. Uh, it came from the law in uh, the book of, books of Moses that the people were allowed to live in their tents 2,000 cubits or 3,000 3, feet from the tabernacle as they were the two million of them were surrounding the tabernacle on the north and the south and the east and the west sides of the tabernacle and 3,000 feet is roughly one half mile a little bit more than that therefore Mount Olivet was about a half a mile distance and they were allowed to live live that far from the tabernacle because they couldn't work on the Sabbath but they could live 3,000 feet a half a mile because you took that much space to uh, accommodate two million people a half a mile from the tabernacle uh, they could walk and that's about the distance they were from the city and the angel said now you're a half a mile away go and wait as Jesus had instructed you and I want you to notice the obedience if you would through the Lord through his angel in verse 13 uh, verses uh, um, 12 and 13 identifying Uh, who they were and they continued they immediately left um, stopped gazing head back to Jerusalem and they obeyed uh, immediately and Jesus had already said to them in fact this is a new information to them for he told them in John 14 25 and 26 these things have I spoken unto you being present with you but the comforter who is the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I have said to you. And when will that happen? Well, Luke twenty four forty nine, I send the promise of my Father unto you. Of course, the Spirit. They knew that. And But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now, if they just decided to have their own plan then uh, presumably, of course, God's will would have still come to pass. But any one of them or all of them would have missed out on that. You see, folks, the Lord is going to save his elect. Amen? Uh, he, he chose his own from eternity past. It's going to come to pass. The issue is whether I will be a part of that blessing, whether I will be a part of that anointing that he has, or will I not be faithful, will I not be committed, will I be disobedient? Um, there, that's, a, that, that's a big if. Now I want you to notice in verse 13. They went to an upper room. Anybody have the definite article there? They went to the upper room in verse 13? So, some of you do. Some of you, there's a definite article there. It's a very specific upper room, and I'm convinced it's the very meeting place where Jesus had earlier told them he was going to leave, he's going to send divine enablement through his spirit, and it's also the place that they celebrated the Passover we know as the Last Supper. These 120 believers gathered together. Now, Parenthetically, for our Catholic friends and your Catholic friends, I want you to notice in verse 14 especially, Mary was among them, not above them. Kathy and I just returned, uh, as you know, from Rome four months ago. And you couldn't swing a dead cat and let go of it. Not that you would do that. 
without hitting something having to do with Mary. I mean Maryolatry, the veneration, all but the worship of Mary, and that is not overstated, is ubiquitous in Rome, everywhere. Uh, Occasionally you'll get a nod uh, to Jesus, but by and large it is all about the so-called Blessed Mother, and Scripture is crystal clear. To the degree that it's just before, the church hadn't even been born yet, this is the last mention of Mary in the New Testament and in the Bible. Never again is Mary, the mother of Jesus, mentioned. Now that is noteworthy, amen? I mean, uh, we, we, we respect Mary. I, I am blessed among all uh, women. Um, my, my God, my Savior, I mean, Mary's Magnificat is glorious. But she was one of 120. Uh, we can put Christian leaders, folks, on on pedestals that we should not. Is it, is it mathematically and according to the law of physics possible for this little platform? Could it have been uh, built eight feet high? Could I have physically been carried in on a throne uh, and, and perched up <laughs> hyperbole? Of course, these things can happen. Should they happen? Absolutely not. I am one of you. You are one of all of us. Amen? We all kneel at the cross at the same level. And so we need to be mindful of that. Red, yellow, black, white, young, old, educated, not educated, whatever. If you have been saved by the blood of Christ... You are one in, with him and in the family of God. My, we need to be reminded of that. And I'll allude to that again in just a minute on another part. So these early believers understood something of the plan. And we understand something of the plan. We don't know exactly how it's going to play out. They didn't know precisely how that was going to play out. But by faith, they said, yes, we're going to go do that. We're going to do. Jesus said to us, wait in Jerusalem. There's going to be big things coming. This is the beginning. This is getting ready for that to happen. We know something of the plan, but none of us have complete insight on what God will call us to do precisely. And so what do we do? How do you accept it by faith? It's easy to say. This is how. Let me offer this. God, I know you are all wise and all good. I know that you love me and you want me to be faithful and fruitful. I know You won't deceive me. I know you will lead me into that which is best. Therefore, by faith, I gladly accept, I receive, I embrace your will for my life. Whatever that will is. I'm not going to resist. I'm not going to push back on the will of God, whatever that might be. We all have difficulties from time to time. Sometimes life is fat, sometimes life is lean relative to blessings. Sometimes the difficulties are greater, sometimes they're less. And yet, by faith, we accept God's plan. And so I say to you, like these 120 who did precisely as they were told. They were gawking up into heaven. Who knows how long they would have stayed there. And the angel says, get, do what Jesus told you to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He said, go back to Jerusalem. Let's do that right now. Here we go. And so half a mile walk. Let's gather in the upper room. Mary, the women, the apostles, identified a number of them by name. Okay, park it here. Well, for how long, Peter? I don't know. I'm I'm taking this by faith. 
one day at a time, one moment at a time. He'll let us know because he said he would let us know. And so here we go. God has given you a plan. Of course, it involves evangelism episodes because he still left you here and he's left me here. Therefore, he calls you to be fruitful. So accept that by faith. Secondly, accomplish the preparation by faith. Accomplish the preparation by faith. Verses 15 to 26. You say, you missed 14. I'll get to it. These leaders had a pretty good idea of what was going to be facing them, and they needed to be prepared. You see, if they crucified their Lord, and Jesus said, you too are going to suffer, they knew exactly what was in front of them. There was going to be problems. They they were in Jerusalem. They had just crucified Messiah. And these are his followers, and they're going to be identified and marked out. For sure they are going to be, if not, in fact, they already were. So they had to get ready and prepare. Uh, they weren't rushing out on their own agenda. They knew, and God had, was showing them every step of the way what he wanted them to accomplish. But they, they couldn't just go off willy-nilly, their own thing. Everybody has an idea. What do you think about this? What do you think about it? What do you think about it? No, no. Sit tight and then prepare. Well, how did they prepare? It's interesting that in this particular passage, leadership needed to be addressed. Judas is dead. And God had ordained leadership. Peter the spokesman, the foremost leader in the early days, uh, step forward. And folks, in any organization, leadership is critical for functioning, for the key to function. It's true in government. I mean, who we elect as our leaders makes a real difference in how our lives go. In fact, First Timothy says, pray for your leaders that you will be able to lead a peaceable, quiet life in all godliness because it matters. Elections matter in our culture. Leadership in the home matters. Leadership in the military matters. And God has called pastors, elders, to spearhead the attack, to lead out in the battle. Decades after this, in fact, maybe two or three decades after this, Peter, in speaking uh, to pastors, understood that. And it's written in 1 Peter 5.2 that Peter commanded pastors to feed and that's the word for shepherd tend the flock shepherd the flock well what does a shepherd do with the flock he lays down his life if necessary he sacrifices he's up all night uh, looking for that sheep who's wandered astray he's leading them into green pastures beside still waters just like the great shepherd has done for us spiritually so the pastor is to shepherd the flock of God among you taking the oversight of it. That is, he, he is the one who is directing um, how the flock is going. Paul had told the pastors at Ephesus that the Spirit of God had made them overseers to lead the church. Now, let's, can we talk? Can we, can we get very brutally honest here and open? Christ is the head. The pastor is not the head. He is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. I am not, and nor is there any other pastor who is. 
The pastor is to willingly take the oversight. A man who is called to pastor must understand that church leadership is not making demands on people. I asked Kathy this evening, this afternoon, I asked her the wrong word. I say, have I ever given you a directive? And she said, oh, yeah, all the time. I said, no. I said, turn this way, turn that way. Don't go so fast. I was coming, up, I was coming over in the hospital. She told me, I don't remember this. Coming over in the hospital, uh, just uh, had anesthesia. I wasn't even awake yet. I don't even remember being in the recovery room. And she said, all of a sudden, I blurted out, stop going so fast. <laughs> well, that's not me to say that. She said, Honey, I'm going 30 in a 35-mile-an-hour zone. And then I guess I went back off into the anesthetic spell that I was under. And so I said, no, no, I, I don't mean those kind of directives. I mean, have I ever given you marching orders? Have I ever said, do this, get in line, sit down, shut up, this is what I said? Well, no, 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 of course not, she said. And, of course, she hasn't done that with me either. Because that's not the place of one who is in authority in a spiritual way. I'm not, I'm not the boss. I'm not the CEO. Ugh, that just, I, I just I irks me. And folks, you say, why are you saying this? Because throughout time, there have been all kinds of dictatorial pastors. Believe it or not. Maybe you've not experienced that, uh, but there truly has been And that is not who the pastor is to be. Godly leadership does not manipulate, but godly leadership, godly leadership ministers. Godly leadership does not demand, but godly leadership serves or provides for. So, as God's man here at Redbridge for nearly three decades, I have a little bit of a track record. With all the warts that I may have, and I do have, I've sought to shepherd this church by leading sheep, never driving cattle. Amen? That's how it ought to be. And that's what it was in those early... That's not to dismiss pastoral authority, of course. Hebrew, Book of Hebrews, chapter 13, talks about that in other places. It's just to simply say what is meant by that. I, uh, I counseled a young husband years ago. He was 22, we'll say. And he'd been married for three or four months. And he called me. Pastor, I'm having problems in my marriage, I said, you've been married four months? Aren't you still on a honeymoon? I said, what's the problem? She won't do what I say. I said, what do you mean by that? I tell her I want her to do this, and she won't do it. She just flat says no. I said, well, how do you tell her? What do you mean, tell her? Uh, I say, when I leave for work, I want the laundry done today. And I get home at 5.45, and I expect you to have food on the table. Linda, that's how you function with Ray, isn't it? (laughs) I said to this young husband, he says, aren't I in authority in the home? And she won't obey. (laughs) It's all I can do to stay in the spirit. (laughs) I said... "Uh, Brother, I've been married 25 years at that time. And I don't know of a single time I've ever given a command to my wife. And my marriage is glorious. And it continued that way for the next 12 years till she went home to be with the Lord. And now the second, next marriage, five and a half years. And I don't know that I've given one command. Who's out of balance here? You 
or your young bride. You all appreciate what I'm saying here? So leadership leads. It doesn't drive. All right, good. Enough on that. Secondly, God has ordained fellowship from the church. We see that in verses 23 through 26. Peter led the 120 to prepare for what God was going to do. He brought leadership to this pre-church age group of believers, and they followed by faith. Now, a lot of debate about whether they should have replaced Judas with, uh, with Matthias or whether that was meant for the Apostle Paul. There's no instruction written down for them to have done that. There's no prohibition written down at all either. So they did it. That's how it is. Um, that's why Scripture talks about what we are to do, but how we are to do it um, is a lot of times open for discernment and discretion. So they were to accomplish the preparation. Get your ducks in a row. Get ready because episodes of evangelism are ready to take place. Thirdly, in verse 14, appropriate the power by faith. And notice in verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. It's fruitless to try to do anything in the spiritual realm. Certainly that's including witnessing. If we're doing it in the energy of the flesh. Jesus had already told them in John 15 and verse 5, for without me, nothing. You're not going to accomplish anything. So just know that. And they knew that at that time, before the church, just before the church was birthed. And so this verse, verse 14, seems to give, emphasize, it seems to be the, the most important verse in this text. The emphasis seems to be on verse 14. And it speaks of appropriating or receiving the power for witnessing with two primary principles. First of all, we see unity among the saints. Unity, divisiveness or indifference to what God is doing or rivalry within the church or any such thing which is of the flesh is going to douse the flame for power in the church. Whereas marching together in unity generates uh, such momentum that the church can blast through the gates of hell and experience victory. Folks, the activity of a local church isn't the most important issue. The most important issue when we function is that we do so with one heart and one mind. You say, but what if we have different opinions and different ideas? That's fine. Of course we'll have different opinions and different ideas. Uh, we're not cookie-cutter believers. I didn't lose my, uh, my uh, natural characteristics when I got saved. That is my uh, inborn genetic code. You didn't, your personality didn't change. Your uh, talents and, and, and the like. Your likes and dislikes didn't change. I was a Chiefs fan from 1965. I'm still a Chiefs fan. Somewhere in the middle of there, I got saved. Y- y'all follow me? So uh, we're not talking about liking or preferring the same things we're talking about when we talk about unity biblical unity it means that i intentionally set my mind on the same things with one another that we all set our mind on the same things and what is that primary thing 
upon which we're to set our minds? Ephesians 3. Let the glory of God be in the church throughout all ages. Amen. That is, we truly want what he wants. We want his best. Now, the devil's in the details, to use the phrase, and sometimes it's difficult to work that out. But if we all, in one accord, approach the work of God with the idea that it matters that we stay together of one heart, even if it isn't exactly like what I would prefer. You know, we're, we're in, the, in the process of looking for an assistant pastor. That work began over, well over a year ago, a year and a half ago, with multiple discussions, hours of discussions among the deacons and the personnel committee and the finance committee. And the deacons worked for hours, hundreds of man hours when you count the 15 deacons uh, and the number of hours that we put into it. Hundreds of man hours went into selecting a committee as our bylaws say that we do. The deacons nominate the committee for searching for a staff, a staff member. And they came to a unity. 25, 30, I don't know how many people were suggested by the deacons. And we looked at it and we looked at it and we looked at it strategically. And is this best for the church? And is it best for that person? Uh, and does that other person, it isn't that anyone is any more spiritual than another. These aren't the, uh, these aren't the, the five uh, members and two alternates, the most spiritual people, the most intelligent, most wise. None of those things. It's that the deacons who are the leaders, ordained leaders, uh, with myself in the church came to a unity, a unanimity that these are the ones that we're going to bring to the church. And I said to you all, this is the slate of committee members that the, church, that the deacons have brought to you with painstaking diligence in calling them, in, 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 it's, uh, in nominating them. Unless you are compelled that this particular person should not be on the committee. And if so, please come and say so. We do not want to make a mistake. And so what did you all do? You voted in the exact slate, and you could have done anything. But you opted for unity over maybe you thought your neighbor here should be on the committee, or this person should be on the committee. You opted to trust leadership. That's biblical fellowship, and it's, it's blessed of the Lord. And you say, well, you've been working at it for six months. Thank the Lord that we're not just saying, we'll take any old Joe out there. No, we want the right man overseeing our children and teenagers. Amen? We want God's man doing that. And so there is a process. And when there is unity, God is going to, he's just going to, he's just going to rain power down upon his uh, his people. Unity. Finally, dependency. Dependency upon the Savior. That is how power is appropriated. Children of God who are dependent on Him. God, you must do this. You have to bring this to pass or it's not going to come to pass at all. And that, uh, that's not just a trite little saying, this is God's work. Folks, this is God's work. This is his church. And 
I am a part of it. You are a part of it. But the bottom line is, Psalm 127, 1 says, and we must understand that unless he does the work in building the house, in securing an assistant pastor, in causing our hearts to be burdened for for souls, unless he does it, then we just labor in vain if we try to do it ourselves. So I so appreciate uh, Brother Elwood Porter's uh, offertory prayer. God, would you do something? Would you take this offering and do something, not these words, but the spirit of exceedingly abundantly above all we can even know. And if that is our heart as a people, his power is going to accompany that because he'll be pleased to have his power upon that type of work. Dependency. Prayerful dependency um, and specifically in soul winning because we have scripture that refers to that. Psalm 126.6 He that goes forth and weepeth. What is that talking about? Weepeth. That's talking about praying with a burden for the lost. And you don't just weep and cry over the lost and be burdened for the lost. You tell God about a specific lost soul. And God's going to and say, uh, and Lord, I want to share. I want to be the one to share and bring the gospel message to that lost soul. Well, those who do that, who are utterly dependent on him, God, would you blow open the doors? What did I drop? My glasses. God, would you blow open the doors? Would you do something that only you could do? And would you let me be a part of that? The conduit, uh, the gospel conduit, the channel through which the gospel flows. Lord, the Lord's power is, I mean, that's why what he's called us to do. Would he call us to do it uh, and then our hearts be ready and, and alive for it and then him not? Oh, no, I was just fooling. No, of course not. We'll come again with rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. And Psalm 39 and verse 3 is even, is even maybe more apropos. The psalmist says, My heart was hot within me. While the fire burned in my soul, then and only then would I speak with my tongue. In other words, I'm just not going to just be spouting off. I'm going to have the vigor of the Lord in my heart and the burden of your soul in my soul so that I may in power communicate the gospel message. All this is back, all this is preparation before we actually move out and do that. So child of God, you can be used of God in winning souls in our day. You can be, or else what, what are we even about if, that, if, if, if that's not the case? Jesus said, I will build my church, Matthew 16, 18. And we are called to be a part of that. The late great revivalist Leonard Ravenhill, don't embrace all of his theology, lamented that the emphasis in the modern American or Western world church. He, he probably wrote this 80 years ago. I don't know how long ago, but a long time ago. He lamented that the emphasis was on building great big buildings and a bus ministry with 30 buses and busing in 500 children and supporting 300 
missionaries for $10 a month. And, and just big, 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 big. He lamented that the emphasis was in the wrong place. He said, and he wrote, when we, the modern church, have paid, that is, we put down the dollar, the place is taken. We can buy all kinds of things of that. But when they, the first century church, had prayed, the place was shaken. I mean, a, a great earthquake happened with Paul and Silas. Cloven tongues of fire settled upon the early believers in Acts chapter 2. People raising from the dead in Acts chapter 3. People who were lying to the Holy Spirit dying in front of everybody in Acts chapter 5. I mean, power was present when they earnestly prayed for God to do something. I close with this. The story is told of a preacher who was visiting an art gallery. Oh, did we love the sculpturing and the paintings and all that we saw in Rome three, months, three four months ago. Everywhere you turn, gorgeous, unbelievable sculpture that was 500, 800, 1,200 years old and the like. And he was watching the, the, uh, the artist design, sculpt out the, the feet and toes of a particular piece of granite. Painstaking. I mean, accomplishing nothing it seemed like in the course of a day, but in the course of a year or years, you have a statue of the David, for instance. And the preacher commented, I sure wish that I could shape the hearts of men like you can shape a piece of granite. Sculptor looked up and he says, if you spent as much time on your knees as I do, you'd be amazed at what can happen. And the preacher went away with his head low. You see, the early believers embraced God's plan. They prepared to go into the world, and when they did, they were empowered by the Spirit of God to testify Will you be like them? Will I be like them? Evangelism, um, examples, and events, if you will. Uh, Let's give ourselves to that all our days for his glory. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word of what it means to, to know you, to have an episode in our own lives, as one of your servants of seeing someone born into the family of God. Lord, would you bless each each saint here, each person here, those watching by way of internet, by virtue of them watching, they have an interest. Would you burden each one of our hearts, even right now, with a lost soul, to begin praying earnestly for that lost soul to prepare what might be later shared and then a commitment, yea, even a vow to obey you in sharing the life-changing gospel of the grace of God in Christ 
with that one. Lord, give us one this year in 2023. Someone who will turn to you in faith and use us. Use each one of us individually. Use your church corporately. Use your church through our missionaries who will be saved for all eternity. We'll give you thanks. Lord Jesus, in your glorious name.